Welcome to the We Earn Media Show, where each episode we chat with a media professional, like an editor or journalist, and we discuss what makes a great and not so great PR journalist relationship. Today we have Josh Constein with us. He is the editor at large for TechCrunch and has written over 4,000 articles on the global startup ecosystem and is about to drop major knowledge bombs on us in regards to how startups should be pitching their products. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. So when you presented your keynote at the 39th Jitex Technology Week back in 2019, you said something that I think is really important and powerful, and I just want to share that with everyone before we dive in. So you said, every startup team member is a chief storyteller. You need to convince somebody to create something that does not exist. The pitch is the heart of the startup because it pumps blood and money into the startup. With a heroic story, you will be able to fund a startup that does not exist yet, end quote. This actually speaks perfectly to the article that you suggested we discuss in our email communication, in which the PR team of a startup called Slightly Robot crafted a story that not only caught your eye, but it was one that was crafted with the help of the the founders themselves. Can you tell us about the story and how it was pitched to you? Sure. So normally I recommend that startups give a really descriptive subject line that talks about the problem and the solution and what they really are doing, what they solve in the world. But this was something a little different. This time, the startup actually responded RE, and then the name of an article I had just published, which was that South by Southwest cancels its 400,000-person conference due to coronavirus. And journalists often receive emails with commentary, feedback, or corrections about articles they publish. So if somebody sends us something with that kind of subject line, we very well may open it and take a look. And that's when I found a really concise pitch of this startup that immediately made me say, I want to cover this and not just soon, but today. Yeah, it was very timely, I must say. Can you, are you comfortable with maybe describing it um, sure. or even reading some of it? Sure. So it was very simple. They they really just got to exactly what they were doing and they didn't bombard me with too much information. It's two paragraphs long. It says, hi, I'm the founder of Immutouch based in Seattle. I've been following TechCrunch's coverage of the coronavirus and saw you wrote a few articles about it in the past week and thought you might be interested in hearing about more feasible prevention practices for your readers. My team and I are in Seattle at the epicenter of the U.S. outbreak and we've created a wristband that vibrates every time you touch your face, making the trope advice of avoid touching your face truly actionable. I wanted to send you some info on this, and would you be interested in talking? Attached is our press release, and he gives his phone number. It's that simple. It was that easy. He told me what they had built and why it was relevant and why he, I was the person that he was pitching, and then he put the press release attached to the email. That way, I could see and get all the additional details if I wanted to, but I wasn't immediately overwhelmed with that just being in a giant wall of text inside the email. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I've been told previously not to attach, um, you know, have any attachments in my email correspondence, especially on the first go. A, I'm happy that pitch went through. I don't know. I'm not an expert on how spam filters work, but I'm glad it went through because I know sometimes that can kind of trigger them and um, cause it to be filtered as spam. Do you typically get a lot of pitches with press releases attached? I do frequently get 
pitches which have a press release, oftentimes they're just sort of pasted at the bottom of the article. And that's not my preference because it just is, a, it feels like a bit much, like they're just assuming that I want all the information right away. That said, I do want to have access if I want to dive deeper without having to wait for them to respond. Normally, I don't even recommend that startups publish press releases because as soon as something is publicly available on a PR newswire or similar service, the news is kind of dead. It's old. Anybody has access to it. And most reporters, they want access to proprietary news, things nobody else has access to before anyone else has read it. Uh, but they hadn't published this press release. They just sent it to me as an attachment. And when I opened it up, I was able to find out all about how they had actually been building a wearable device for or uh, trichotillomania, which is a, uh, a disorder where people pull out their own hair. And so they had already built a lot of the technology needed for this. They noticed the need because of the outbreak of coronavirus. And in one week, they were able to pivot their device and get it ready for shipping. And that's incredible, especially because in this age, there's so many of these Kickstarter projects or hardware gadgets, and it can take months or years for them to actually start shipping things. And this company said, hey, we've got this ready to ship right now so we can immediately get into into the hands of the needy. And I thought that was a, a great uh, show of zeal and hustle on their part. And with it being so timely, I messaged back and said, hey, here are a few questions. I want to know more right now because I want to write about it today. I love that. And I have to give them a shout out because they are local to where I am, Seattle. And um, I do think it's a great idea and so smart on their part. And also it's interesting too, because right now a lot of companies and brands, you know, are being sensitive about the coronavirus and, you know, they don't want to seem tone deaf and opportunistic. And this is how you do it, right? This is how you don't add to the noise. You refine your product and make it fit a need that is truly important right now. So that's really interesting. Exactly. I think it's not about just sort of reframing an existing product and using this as sort of a convenient marketing hook. You know, it, you really want to tie your stories to these big trends or important moments if they're relevant. Otherwise, you are going to seem like you're just trying to exploit them for your own gain. But if you really built a product designed to solve a need surrounding this a, a crisis like this, I think readers want to hear about it. And as reporters, we have our, a duty to our readers to get that information to them. And so we'll be eager to hear about it. I also wanted to talk about how the founder had pitched you. Do you typically receive a lot of pitches from the founders themselves? It's a pretty wide mix. I find that with very early stage startups, I often get to speak with a founder directly. Sometimes if they're sort of in the mid stage, maybe they've raised a, a solid seed or series A round, one of their investors will reach out because they know I've got some previous relationship with them or they have a, they're a name brand investment fund. And so I'm likely to want to pick up the phone or, or uh, answer their email. And then sometimes I get emails from PR agencies or in-house PR people. But honestly, you know, PR representatives are great for helping set up the scheduling and helping founders prepare for meetings and doing press releases or negotiating embargoes and how the release is all going to happen and when the news goes up. But when it comes to doing the actual pitch, delivering that pitch to a reporter and having that back and forth conversation about it, I want to talk to the founder. I want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And so I think the more that PR can do to prepare and facilitate founders to do their own outreach, the better. 
it sounds like it it legitimately came from in this instance the founder but i wonder how many times the email communication part of it is actually somebody using the founder's email and communicating with you that way sure it's it's hard to know you can never really be sure if this is somebody's assistant or pr rep sending the email for them but in the end if i ask intense questions about specifically how technologies work or how a business model is going to perform what adjacent markets they're looking to conquer or who their director incumbent competitors are pr people are not going to be able to answer those questions without the founder involved so as long as in, in the end i'm getting the real information i want and it doesn't feel like there's this wall between me and the person who really knows what they're talking about, I'm all right with it. A majority of the time, are you on the phone talking to the founders or is it usually a PR person, would you say? My preference is to start over a a communication medium like email where I can really quickly triage tons and tons of pitches. I'm getting hundreds of emails a day with people wanting coverage, and I'm obviously not going to be able to take those all as phone calls. Then if I find a company that I find is interesting, I'll typically send them a few questions, you know, just some basics about what the, the product, the traction, the business model, and the funding is like. And then from there, I'll look into doing a longer interview. Sometimes if I'm really swamped with stories, that'll be over email. And I'll send these 13 really deep questions about everything from how they came up with the idea to you know how they retain customers and avoid uh, being crushed by competition to philosophically why they care about building this thing in the first place. Uh, and then if I need to, to get a little bit of extra color or quotes for the for the story, I'll be able to do a follow-up call. Sometimes if I do have enough time or it's a founder that I really want to forge a longer relationship with, then I'll move straight to the phone and we can do that whole interview either in person or over the phone. That makes sense. So not to keep pushing the press release thing, but one more thing. Say you receive a pitch that doesn't have a press release and is more of a a brief summary of the story that they're pitching you. And they say, I'm happy to send along the press release if you would like more info. Does that drive you in general crazy? Am I putting words in your mouth there? Because I know, like you said, you don't like to see the press release, you know, at the bottom and it's overwhelming and you might not be interested in it. In the end, all that really matters is that they get across three critical pieces of information. One is what is the problem that exists in the world that means there's a need for this product? Two, what is the solution? Why is it exponentially better than what already exists in the market and is really going to solve that need so people's lives are better or they can make more money? And then third, what is the evidence that they're the one that's going to carry this uh, this startup or this company across the finish line? You know, ideas are a dime a dozen, and it's really about execution. So I want to know, you know, why your founders are the right people, they have the right experience, or they have studied the right technologies. You've got PhDs on your team, or you already have tons of users or sales, or some really top name investors have backed you, or you have some technology that no one else is going to be able to copy. As long as you get those three things the problem, the solution, and the evidence in that email, that can be two paragraphs and then asking me if I want more information. That could be a few paragraphs plus uh, a press release attached at the bottom. You know, I've seen things as, as few as just a few, as, as short as just a few lines. As long as they're getting that information across, I don't care if it's a cold call, a cold email. I don't care if it come from, comes from the best investor. I'm going to evaluate it on those three core things. That is perfect. That's such a good summary 
Audrey. Thank you for that. I want to also go back to the subject line. You mentioned that you receive so many pitches throughout the day. What stood out to you about this pitch as far as the subject line goes? What made you open it? Well, this one was dealing with a subject that was very, uh, very close to my heart. You know, I've, I've spoken at South by Southwest for almost every year of the last 10 years. It's my favorite conference. And I was really sad when they canceled it. And so when they, I received an email regarding my story about it, I, it was something that I cared enough about that I was going to open no matter what. And it just so happens that this was a somewhat unrelated pitch to the South by Southwest situation, but they could tell that this was something that mattered to me. And so I think that was a great way. But normally, I would generally recommend sticking with what is it that is wrong with the world and how does your your product solve it? Because if you're asking me a lot about, oh, it's like this stuff about the company name and stuff about, you know, that, oh, you're offering this kind of news or you want to talk with me or whatever, you know, that's not very descriptive. It doesn't help me vet whether I care about this company or not. And, you know, some people, there are a lot of emails I'm only going to get a chance to look at that subject line. So if it's something really vague or trying to be too much of a teaser, I, that doesn't work for me. Just put the real facts up front. Would you mind reading the subject line that, um, or maybe, maybe it'd be best to get an example subject line that worked that you'd be comfortable reading? Totally. Okay. So here's one, for instance, I received a, the, an email that just said launch colon sex health app raises 5 million back by Tinder's rad. Uh, and so that immediately tells me, you know, this is a, a sexual health app that's probably designed to help people, you know, improve their wellness and make sure that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, seizing their whole potential while staying safe in bed. They're, you know, they have raised a sizable amount of money for being such an early company and they're backed by Tinder's founder, Sean Rad, who obviously has a lot of knowledge about the the dating space, the you know the intimacy space. And so the fact that they you know this is a, a launch of a new app, so this isn't something that's sort of old news already. It's in an interesting space that a lot of people are going to care about. They've raised some a solid amount of money, so they're not just some entrepreneurs who are have a pretend project they're hoping to get off the ground. This is a real company. And the fact that it's got a prestigious investor who knows the space and would be able to tell if something was worthwhile or not. Those are a lot of positive signals for me to want to explore and, and get more information. That's a really good example. Thank you for digging that up. When you receive pitches like that, do you look it up in Google um, to make sure that no one else has written about it? What's kind of your, your process for that? Yeah, typically my, my process will be first, Googling to see if there's been other press coverage. You know, we want to break stories first. And so if somebody's recently had coverage, uh, that's probably going to be a, a point against them. Unless they have something really big and new that hasn't been covered, if they've already got people writing about them, I'm going to be less interested. Uh, then I'm also going to want to check to see you know, their, their Crunchbase profile, which shows who's invested in them, how much they've raised, who their founders are, and some other basic details about the company. This helps me find out, is one of these founders well-known, maybe they've already had a big success with another company, and so they're going to be more likely to succeed this time around, uh, or whether the product is really interesting uh, and is attacking an important space, or they've got prestigious investors in, aboard, then I'll probably look at their website and take a deeper look at the product. Do I really think this is something that everyone's going to want to use? And even if this isn't necessarily the company that is going to succeed here, do I think this idea is important enough to write about? 
That's a good summary. I like that. Do you, how many pitches a day do you receive? How do you read them all? I try to read every single pitch I get over email, Twitter, direct message, LinkedIn text, but you know, I am probably receiving over a hundred pitches a day. Uh, and that's not even counting the things that are just obvious sort of press release spam of low quality company updates that I would never consider writing about. These are pretty re- reasonable pitches of important news going on in the world. But, you know, a lot of of what I decide to write about or not, it it comes down to, you know, is this the right fit for me? Am I the expert in this space? Or do I think that there's no other expert in this space and I have an opportunity to become that person? And do I think this is something that when I look back in a few years, I'm going to say, oh, I'm glad I got to get on this early, that I was somebody who revealed this to the world uh, and that or that the, the coverage led to a ripple effect of maybe other companies adopting a similar idea and eventually getting to solve this problem for the public. Got it. So when it comes to covering a story that, say, a founder or a PR person has sent your way, besides a press release, besides maybe any of the things that you had just listed, um, like going to their Crunchbase profile, checking out recent coverage, what other assets or additional info is helpful that we might have not talked about? Visual assets are so critically important for startups and anybody pitching their business, yet they're so often overlooked. You know, this is how you're going to visually communicate what you're building. And a lot of times a startup doesn't come to fruition for years after it launches. And so you want to be showing me what your opportunity is, what you could be eventually. Uh, And so if you're a more visual company, like a a, a hardware or gadget, you're obviously going to want to show me some pretty glamour shots of what that device looks like. You know, if you're dealing with a, you know, a big societal trend in finance, or uh, you want to show me the charts and graphs that display why this is so important right now. Uh, if you've got you know interesting founders or a great team, having a photo of them, and and most importantly, I want the kind of splash imagery, the featured image, the shot that's going to go at the top of a TechCrunch article that makes it really obvious to people what is going on and why it's interesting. I want these images to be in a landscape format, usually about 1.85 wide to one tall in ratio. Uh, And I want them to have bright colors so that they catch people's eye when they're scrolling through their social feeds. And ideally, they're going to show a little bit about why the product matters and how it works. If you can get that all into a great featured image, not only are you going to be more likely to catch my attention, but when I eventually publish that article, it's going to do better. It's going to get more traffic and you're going to get more of the benefits in hiring, fundraising, or growth that you're really seeking. That's great. That's exactly what I wanted to know. Are additional images helpful? Do you care if they've been published elsewhere? But it sounds like as long as they're appealing and visually attractive, then it's good to go. I don't really care if the images have been published elsewhere, as long as they're really descriptive, if they really tell people what's going on and they catch people's eye. And this is something that more companies should invest in early. So often I'll want to write about a startup. And then when I ask for visual assets, all they send me is a lame logo and a poorly lit shot of the founders. And that's not what anybody wants to see atop an article. So it's important to invest in great illustration, great photography, great graphs, or even a video that can show what's going on. And if you can make an animated GIF that really describes what your product does, even better. 
I love that. I was going to ask you about video and I love the idea of an animated GIF. I didn't even think about that. That's really cool. Okay. So I kind of want to dive into more of the housekeeping questions that we've been asking everybody we've interviewed so far, just to see how things differ, what, you know, everybody is, what everybody can relate to. What buzzwords and phrases are you completely sick of hearing about or not hearing about, but hearing in general? I just never want to hear anyone tell me they're going to be the next some big company, the next Facebook, the next Apple. Like that really just means something so vague that I don't think you actually know what your business does. And definitely don't tell me it's game changing or going to shift the paradigm. Like that, again, that stuff doesn't mean anything. You want to be able to describe a product so that someone completely unfamiliar with your industry resonates with the emotional need for that product to exist. I should be able to tell a six, a six year old or a 96-year-old what this is and them say, oh, I get why people care about that. Do you think there is a right time for a PR person to send an email your way? Like, for example, in general, a lot of PR people told never send an email around what could be noon, aka that person's lunchtime. You always want to send a pitch either right before they start their day or at the end of the day. How, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? You know, I find that I check my email pretty consistently throughout the day, yet I get so many more emails right at the start of the day. And so, you know, if that's something that's really important, maybe you'll still stand out. But if it's something where you're trying to grab someone's attention who might not know you, consider trying to email at a time where you might sit at the top of their inbox for longer. So that could be at the end of the day or even on a weekend. You know, I it's. it's this isn't a synchronous medium like a phone call where you're going to be bothering me if you email me on the weekend. It just means that I'm going to get to it when I get to it. And so I don't think that there's necessarily an exact right or wrong time, but you should be thinking, is this something where it's important to be part of the, you know, the, the fastest, most active part of the day? You know, is this something that's uh, that, that's really urgent and you need to get out first thing in the day? Or could it wait a little bit? Because I think the, the most important thing about whether I report on a company or not is just how much else I've got going on. And sometimes first thing in the morning when the whole world is moving so fast, I'm not going to be able to take the time to dive deep into a pitch that I might have, say, on a Friday when news is a lot slower. And what is the most common mistake that you think PR people make when they reach out to you? If you had to say one thing. Perhaps the biggest mistake that PR people make is that they send me the other articles or links to the other articles that were recently published about that company. I think that they imagine that that's going to give them more credibility and say, oh, look, other people think that we're good too. And that's some kind of positive signal. And that's true if you're talking about investors or other, you know, other types of traction that shows that you're a legitimate product. But if you're telling me that my competitors already wrote about this and I'm going to be late to the story, you're, you're just decreasing the likelihood that I would ever want to cover this. Oh my gosh. I can't believe people actually do that. <laughs> okay. Now moving on to, I guess, relationship building as a PR person and, you know, being in that industry, we're constantly encouraged to build relationships with the journalists that we reach out to and that we follow who are in the industries of our clients. 
what's your take on that? Do you have, how do you feel about that? Do you like when a PR person asks you to go out to coffee or maybe tries to build a relationship with you that's outside of always constantly pitching you, you know, news about their startup or one of their clients? I hate it when people ask to pick my brain or just go out for a coffee with no real reason. It's essentially just asking me to take an hour of my time to do free consulting. And that's just not valuable for me. You know, as a reporter, we've got deadlines, we've got lots of stuff to do. And so if you want to build a relationship with me, send me valuable information. Tell me about some fundraising round that nobody's heard of that's that's going on from some other company or, you know, problems or layoffs at another startup. Startup. You know, tell me something that I'm going to be able to use that maybe is going to be the spark that starts some other story that might be unrelated to their clients. That shows that they understand what I value and what matters to me. And from there, I'm going to start to take their pitches more seriously and say that, hey, this person helped me out in the past. That doesn't mean I'm going to write about their clients in the future, but I'll at least give them the time of day. Before I move on to the very last question, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you wanted to make sure you you talked about or, you know, included in this conversation? One final word of advice is just to remember that what is newsworthy to a company or a CEO or a PR person's client is not necessarily newsworthy to the audience of a reporter. That's who we serve. We serve our readers. So it doesn't matter if a piece of news is the, you know, the product of a year's worth of work or tons of investment. If the actual output of it doesn't wow people, if it doesn't change their perception of the world or give them a new lens or a new opportunity to see things that maybe they could participate in or feel like they're ahead of the curve, I don't care about it. And so it's important for PR people to know when to push back on their clients and say, hey, this isn't really news and it's not going to get good pickup. We should wait and save that relationship and save that outreach for when we really have something that's going to knock people's socks off. Yes, preach. I love that. I love that so much. Is there a PR person that you want to give a shout out to before we sign off? Someone, you know, you think over the years they've done a great job being a resource to you. Um, They've shared wonderful stories with you that your readers absolutely loved. Do you have anyone in particular in mind that you want to give a shout out to? One of my favorite PR people is actually not a PR person. Their name is Niv Dror, and they are the founder of a, a venture capital fund called Shrug Capital. But Niv's real skill is being able to distill the ideas of companies into really coherent, short, punchy pitches that he he pitches to reporters in a very colloquial, very friendly way that's more of a like, hey, heads up, this thing is going to be really big soon, rather than a emphatic, oh, I really want you to write about it. And in doing that, he makes people truly interested in what those companies are about. And so I've written about a number of his companies, including Adams, a shoe startup. You know, TechCrunch wouldn't normally write about shoes, but when he told me that you know they've got a quarter sizing and you mix and match sizing so you can have different shoes sizes for different feet, and they've got copper uh, threads lined into them to uh, defeat 
fungus and you know they they have these elastic laces so you never have to retie them it made it sound like there was finally innovation in the shoe market and i think if you can find seed or angel investors who can help go to bat for you on the pr side they may be even more effective than a pr firm that's amazing thank you so much josh i think pr people and startups and people who work for startups and the founders are going to walk away with so much knowledge and they're i personally have a list of action items for me to start incorporating into my pitches and everything. So thank you so much for your time. Totally. My pleasure. This is fun. Thanks again, Brett. Thank you, Josh. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram. 